0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, December 16th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include, you've probably heard of the Log4j vulnerability-making headlines. We'll tell you what it's all about. It's been a big week for Apple OS updates and security patches. The Apple Messages app is now more sensitive to your child's communication safety, and it looks like the NSO group is being legally pummeled into non-existence. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast: veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst Josh Long.
1: Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We're halfway through the month of December, and we've reached another one of those weeks where Apple updates everything.
2: Yes. Once again, Apple has released a whole bunch of updates. Um, There's security updates included in here. Interestingly, so far, since the release of iOS 15 and macOS Monterey, there haven't been anything that... Apple has said is actively exploited, but there have been a lot of vulnerabilities that Apple has been patching in each one of these big updates. And this is no exception. So we'll have an article on the Intego Mac security blog with some highlights of some of the more interesting vulnerabilities that have been patched in these recent versions. And as always, we like to remind people that unless you're running the latest version of Mac OS, you're not getting all the fixes. Once again, uh, there were a number of vulnerabilities that just were not backported to the two previous versions of Mac OS. So one of the new features in iOS
1: 15.2 is communication safety. That sounds really banal, doesn't it? Communication safety, like someone's going to check if you have scam phone calls, but it's not that banal.
2: Yeah. This is a part of what Apple announced back in, I think it was August. They were talking about a couple of new features that they were planning to implement in iOS 15 um, that would ostensibly protect children. And Apple decided to put both of these things on hold. They kind of announced two uh, unrelated, but sort of kind of tangentially related things at the same time, remember one of those was very controversial. And so um, just because of the backlash, they put everything on hold. Well, one of those things, the less controversial, I would say, is now part of iOS 15.2. And that is specifically that if you have managed Accounts. So, if you if you have children who share the same family sharing account with you, um, they all they have their own separate Apple IDs for their own separate devices. It's now possible for you as a parent to choose to enable a, a sort of nude photo blocking option. And the idea behind this is that um, Apple provides the technology to identify that something that is being sent to that child or something that that child is sending appears to contain nudity. And then they will, you know, put up a warning to the child to inform them that, hey, this thing that you're about to receive or this thing you're about to send may contain nudity. Do you really want to do this? Here are some resources that you can read. And uh, that's the idea. So this is not on by default. So, first of all, you have to have family sharing set up and you have to choose to enable this per child. And then if a child gets a photo, they have
1: to choose to not see it. I mean, they have to go through a few screens to say, I don't want to see it, but they can still see it if they want. We'll link to a support document on apple.com explaining this. And it's just a couple of extra hoops to get to the nudes, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and, and I, I think one of the things that... um is different from Apple's original proposal. I think what they originally said they were gonna do was they were gonna notify the parent. And now they've completely taken that component of it out. I guess the idea is to maintain the children's privacy. I I, I don't know um, if if that's kind of what they're going for here, but I I think there were some people who had complained that, well, that's not really fair to do to a child. And so Apple's just decided, okay, well, whatever. We'll back off on that a little bit. We're still doing something to protect children um, while still also maintaining their privacy. Um, Now, as a parent, you might not agree with that. You might preferred to know when somebody's trying to send nudes to your child or when your child is trying to send nudes. Um, But as of right now, that is not implemented. So I wonder why they don't give
1: adults the option to have this because If anyone out there has been watching Succession, you'll know that in the last couple of episodes, an adult sending nude photos to another adult was an important plot point. And frankly, if I was in an environment, if I was a woman in an environment where men may send nude photos, I might want to turn something like this on to not get surprised in my messages by,
2: you know, male members. I 100% agree. In fact, I had the same thought myself. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure we actually even discussed this when Apple first talked about the feature, that it seems like this is something that people might want to enable for themselves. I know I certainly don't want to receive nudes from anybody. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not something I want to see. But I'm not really a targeted you know individual or a targeted group, right? Um, I think there are... Um, you know, classes of people or people with certain professions that are more likely to be targeted. You mentioned women. um, Nurses uh, are certainly a lot more likely to be targeted with nudes and things like that. So uh, I would think that this is something that a lot of adults would like to enable, but they don't make this at least not yet. They're not making this available for adults to opt into for their own accounts. I think one of the difficulties
1: is, let's say, you're a woman and you want to not get these photos. And then someone sends you a new photo of their baby naked at the beach. And, I mean, you have the choice. You know who it's coming from, etc. But uh, I, it's it's true that you can't you can't have like a, a a solid wall that says all yes or all no because there are some edge cases. You mentioned nurses, maybe nurses are sending each other photos of patients' wounds or I don't know things like that. So there are cases where th- there's a line that isn't very easy to draw. I think.
2: Right. But it would be nice to at least have that option to to enable that feature if you if you know you don't ever have legitimate reasons or if you just want to get that little interstitial so you can make the choice to see, you know, whatever this is that's being sent to you. So you mentioned two tangentially related
1: features and the other one was Apple was planning to scan images in our photo libraries on iPhones and iPads to see if they contain what's called CSAM, child sexual abuse material. And there were a lot of privacy researchers and foundations and politicians and activists who really complained about this, that it was really invasive, that they would be scanning all the photos on our devices. And Apple pulled back, and recently it turns out that they've removed the mention of this feature from their child safety webpage, which is what talked about both of these two features, and which is the page that I'll link to in the show notes about the communication safety feature that we
2: just talked about. I guess what we could read into this is that perhaps Apple is planning to not implement this feature or that they're just not sure yet whether they're going to implement this after all. And so they've just decided for now, let's just remove all references to it because until we make that firm decision one way or the other, um, it's probably better that we don't keep all this on our website because, you know, what if we don't end up doing this? We don't want to mislead anybody into thinking that this is for sure coming.
1: Yeah. In September, Apple said, based on feedback from customers, advocacy groups, researchers, and others, we have decided to take additional time over the coming months to collect input and make improvements before releasing these critically important child safety features. So they sounded like they were committed, but that could also be just pushing it down, you know, a little bit further. Speaking about things that were announced and that were not shipped and that are being pushed into next year, Universal control, remember that when we saw the introduction for macOS Monterey and Craig Federighi showing this wonderful thing where you can take your mouse and slide it off the edge of the window onto your other Mac or your iPad? Well, Apple's pushed that back to the spring. There's no real target date. It kind of makes me think of the air power. Remember that induction charger that they were going to release? Some years ago, that could charge multiple devices at the same time that never saw the day. And this was the coolest feature in Monterey, in my opinion, because I sometimes work with two Macs. I'm updating a book right now, and I'm running the app for the book on my laptop, and I'm doing the writing on my iMac, and I want to take a screenshot on my laptop, and I just want to go with my trackpad and drag it over onto the iMac, and I can't do that. I
2: really like that feature, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and hopefully that will still be coming eventually because air power, uh, unfortunately, we never did get that. So Apple released a new app this week for Android. Yeah, I I like this. I, I feel like it took Apple a really long time to get to this because they did say quite a while ago, um, shortly after the introduction of AirTags, they said that they were going to be uh, offering an app for Android users to be able to identify if an AirTag is following them around. So, remember, we've talked before about how, you know, there are some potential privacy concerns with AirTags. Uh, We just talked about that last week. And Apple has finally released uh, an app for the Google Play Store. Interestingly, it doesn't have AirTag in the name of the app. It's called Tracker Detect. Tracker detect, that sounds something that's
1: going to, I don't know, see if a website is tracking your activity and selling your data.
2: It's it sounds like something you carry around, you know, like like one of those like Star Trek like scanner devices, you know, you know, you're walking around your room and like trying to find something. Is there a tracker over here? Is there a tracker over there? Like a tricorder. A tricorder. Yes, a tri-corder.
1: Yeah. Okay, but you know, there's a reason for this name because the app itself says these item trackers include air. AirTag and compatible devices from other companies. If you remember, Apple opened up the Find My Network to third parties. they probably have to pay a licensing fee to get into that. So there will eventually be other devices, other trackers that it could detect. So I agree with you that they don't want to make it sound like AirTags are evil, But on the other hand, there
2: will eventually be other devices. It it is kind of funny though, because, so this is an Apple app, it's called Tracker Detect. But as of right now, it really is only detecting AirTags. So are they calling AirTags trackers? It's kind of funny to think about it that way. Um, and, And also, I mean, certainly people would be looking for AirTag, right? That's the thing that you would be looking for in the Google Play Store. So it seems a little bit odd to me that they would give it an obscure name like tracker detect, especially when, as far as I know, there's not third parties that are part of this find my network yet. Not that I am aware of. Um, So, yeah, it may be coming. But but the real thing that people are trying to use this app for is detecting that an air tag, specifically an air tag is near them. To be
1: fair. The Find My app doesn't talk about AirTags. It talks about items. Okay. As far as I know, the only item that it can locate other than the AirTag currently is the MagSafe wallet that goes on the back of an iPhone. If you leave it behind, the location will be remembered. So it's not a tracker, but it's an item and it's not an AirTag. And so I think Apple's just playing the long game here, thinking that eventually there will be other things that can
2: track you using Apple's Find My Network. Yeah, that makes sense. And there is a distinction between devices and items. So, you know, devices would include, uh, you know, computers, phones, iPads, things like that. Even your headphones, interestingly, show up under devices. Uh, So if you've got yeah, yeah, AirPods or, or, or Beats headphones, um, those show up under devices. Um, but items is specifically right now just AirTags and the MagSafe wallet. OK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about NSO Group and we're going to talk about
0: Log4J, which has been making the news lately. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and Apple's latest Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intigo Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intigo World-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts.
1: Very quickly, we want to talk about the end of the NSO Group. We talked recently about Apple's lawsuit against the NSO Group, about Pegasus spyware. And now it turns out that NSO Group is running out of cash. Not only that, U.S. lawmakers are calling for sanctions against the NSO Group, And this is referencing what is called Global Magnitsky Sanctions, named after a gentleman named Magnitsky, I believe in Russia, who was killed by whatever, I'm not sure. These sanctions punish those who are accused of enabling human rights abuses by freezing bank accounts and banning travel to the United States. You know, it's kind of interesting. I'll sue you. Right? People say, I'll sue you, as if that's going to have some sort of an effect, whether they win or not. But in this case, being sued by Apple, the opprobrium that they're suffering from being sued, being on a blacklist from the U.S. for importing and export technology, and now this, means that the company has little left to do. But what I wonder is, if the company goes down, their technology is not going to disappear. Someone's going to take it someplace else.
2: Well, yeah. And and so we should clarify, this is not necessarily the end of the NSO group. Uh, <laughs> um, there are some potential, you know, things that the NSO group could do to kind of get around this. Maybe, um, I, I mean, certainly one thing that they could do is they could just kind of go completely black market, right? They could go uh, take all their operations underground and, you know, I, I, um It's it's a possibility. I mean, again, their their primary market is um, government agencies and law enforcement agencies. Right. I mean, that's uh, officially that is uh, their market. And so law enforcement agencies, yeah, they probably wouldn't be able to um, purchase anything or license anything from NSO group anymore if they went completely dark. But intelligence Agencies. I mean, if if the NSO group was really operating just kind of as a shadow corporation, you know, behind the scenes, didn't have a public face anymore, um, they could they could absolutely still exist. Yeah. Okay.
1: Let's talk about Log4j because this is the kind of computer vulnerability that gets into the news that. I see on the TV news, right, on the BBC. I see it in in the normal newspapers, Log4j, some obscure Java program used for logging things that happen on websites. And all of a sudden, this is apparently the most
2: important computer vulnerability of all time. How do we get here from there? First of all, we should explain what Log4j is. And it's spelled L-O-G, the number four and a lowercase j. This is Java-based logging software. Um, that's really all it is. So it's if you want to uh, have an app, um, presumably uh, cross-platform app because you're using Java, right? And you want to be able to log what's going on with that app, then a lot of Uh, people will just use Log4J, right? It's open source software um, and uh, Java is cross-platform, so it seems like a good solution. Explain what logging is for those who don't understand. Okay, well, logging basically is just um, when you want to know what a, an app is doing, it, it keeps a, a journal, you could call it, a diary, right? It it logs the things that are going on um, and just puts them in a file, a nice convenient thing that a developer or um, or, or somebody who is a, an administrator of that system can go and look at later on and find out what exactly happened with uh, whatever software they're choosing to to log information from. So this is Java software
1: and Java is owned by Oracle. So is Oracle the one who made the mistake here?
2: Um, no, not, not really. So here's here's the thing. This is a bit complicated because, so you've got open source software, Log4j just happens to be one of many, many open source software packages. And it turns out that an awful lot of big corporations happen to be using this particular open source software package. And um so who who is to blame when there is a vulnerability in this open source package that everyone happens to be using? Um is it the developer's fault that that they didn't code their their product securely enough? Um I mean presumably they had no idea that there was this vulnerability and um, so who is to blame? Should the company be blamed for choosing to use this open source software without maybe properly vetting it? And, and really, what is properly vetting? I mean, we, we could go down all sorts of rabbit holes here, but um, and and there's a lot of um, places where you could potentially lay blame. I guess I guess what we what we should get out of this is there there is a, a flaw like every software has flaws. A flaw was found in this open source software and now everybody who's using that open source software is in trouble and is having to patch a whole bunch of things.
1: Okay. Some open source software, we've talked about it a couple of times. There may be some module that's used by the entire world and is just maintained by one person who's been doing it on Saturdays for 30 years. This is actually maintained by the Apache Software Foundation. Apache is the most widely used web server, and they're obviously maintaining it so they can log for their web server. So do they have any kind of responsibility? If I run an Apache web server, do I have to be aware that, the web server is one thing, and then all the other hundreds of little open source things might have
2: vulnerabilities. How can we be sure that our software is safe? Okay, well, I, I guess one could, could take that and extend it to other things like web browsers, right? Chromium um, sure. is a, an open source browser framework. It's very complex. Um, and there's vulnerabilities being found in it probably literally on a daily basis um, because they're always, always patching things. Um, in Chromium, which you know a lot of major web browsers are all based on, Chrome, Edge, uh, and a number of others. Um, so are, should Google be in trouble when a new vulnerability is found there? Uh- I, I mean, I, I don't know that they I'm should. I'm fine
1: with blaming Google for anything, but
2: <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> no, they. They're... I don't know that it's necessarily that somebody should be in trouble as as much as it is that um, you know like their software gets very complex and especially browsers. But I mean, you know, like a- any software gets more complex over time. Log4j has been around for a very long time. Um, it's uh, it was initially 20 released twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tw- twenty years ago. Um it's, that's a very long time for any software to be around. In fact, it's almost 21 years at this point. Yeah. Um so uh, it's it's com- it's complex.
1: So this is one of the risks of open source software, but it's also the risks of closed source software. We're talking about security vulnerabilities in iOS and macOS all the time and there's nothing we can really do to stop them. So we can't say that open source is necessarily less secure
2: than something else, but we can't say it's more secure either. Right, I, I think there's a tendency that um, a lot of people have to make the assumption that open source software is inherently more secure than closed source software, and that's not true. Either way, it's source code, right? Uh, either way, it's, it's software that somebody is developing. And the reason that I think a lot of people assume that open source software is inherently more secure Is because of its open nature. That means that anybody can look at it and, and identify that there are vulnerabilities in the software and can, you know, inform the developer so that the software can, can be patched.
1: Let's take a break for a minute, and I'm just going to go get the source code for Chromium and go through it and see if I can find any bugs. (laughs) Well, No, what what you're saying makes sense, but the software is so complex that it's really not that simple. When open source supporters make that argument, it's fine because the tiny percentage of people who would be able to understand it can maybe do that, but... They are not going to do it anyway.
2: Well, and also, you know, there's some, I guess, perverse incentives potentially for some people who, you know, maybe they want to find vulnerabilities, but not inform the developer because because maybe they want to submit that bug to a bug bounty program. Maybe they want to sell it on the black market or the gray market and get a ton of money for it instead of going to the developer. Um, so <laughs> this stuff gets very complex, doesn't it? Yeah. It's worth pointing out that this does not affect any Mac
1: OS iOS software. It did, however, affect iCloud and Apple has patched the vulnerability. It seems like they did it as soon as they heard about it. So we'll link in the show notes to an article that says that researchers were able to demonstrate the vulnerability when connecting to iCloud through the web on December 9 and December 10. The same vulnerability no longer worked on December
2: 11. Right. And and I guess we should say, since um, pretty much every software developer out there is saying, you know, whether their products are affected or not by this, um, since we're not um, using Java and we're certainly not using Log4j, Intego products are, are not affected by this. Very good point. Um, v- VPN products, um, a lot of, uh, just like with iCloud, a lot of backends may potentially have been impacted. Um, and, uh, So it's important to make sure that if you're using a VPN, um, to know whether uh, it's been hardened uh, on the back end to make sure that it's not vulnerable. So integral privacy protection has also been hardened on the back end to make sure that this vulnerability is not exploitable there as well.
1: Okay, so I just want to point out the one anecdotal thing that this was initially found as players were exploiting the vulnerability in Minecraft in the chat function, and then (laughs) Some Twitter users began changing their display names to code strings that could trigger the exploit, which naturally
2: led to you referring to one of your favorite XKCD comics... Ah yeah. I I call it little Bobby tables, but uh it's called Exploits of a Mom and uh we'll we'll link to that in the show notes. Um we we've we've mentioned this before, but I I still think this is hilarious. So, um I'll, should I go ahead and read the the frames of the of the comic then? Well, you, you can just su- just summarize it. In this comic, uh a, a mother receives a call from her her child's school and they are blaming her for something that went wrong on their systems. And they, they ask, did you really name your son Robert? And then a whole bunch of uh, code that it basically says drop table students. And then she goes, oh, yes, little Bobby tables, we call him. <laughs> and the person says to the mother, well, we've lost this year's student records. I hope you're happy. And the mother says, and I hope you've learned to sanitize your database inputs.
1: Yes. And if you have, are not familiar with... Ex- kcd comics they always have an alt text that shows up when you hold your cursor over the comic for a few seconds and the alt text here is her daughter is named help i'm trapped in a driver's license factory
2: <laughs> oh man
1: okay well that's enough for this week next week we'll have a couple of interesting topics including the new ios and ipad os app privacy report feature which is in the 15.2 versions
0: of this software until next week josh stay secure all right stay secure Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com.